now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our reading this morning is taken from Romans, chapter 12, excuse me, uh, reading from verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. What I want to share with you today is uh, from that beatitude and the simple truth that we have a God who makes peace with us and we have a God who wants us to be peacemakers. And if we take nothing else from today, let's just hold on to those two things. We have a God who makes peace with us And we have a God who wants us to be peacemakers. A little uh, peace goes a long way. When Harry Patch, who you may remember was the last surviving Tommy uh, from the First World War, when he met Charles Kuntz, who was the last uh, surviving uh, World War I German soldier, uh, it had been set up beforehand and they had a translator with them, been a lot of press uh, speculation uh, before they met. When they came together, uh, they sat down and they just sat in silence. And they didn't have anything to say to each other uh, for a long time. And then the first thing they did uh, was simply to shake hands. 
And Harry Patch wrote afterwards, there was a time when to have shaken the hand of the enemy would have been treason. But now all Charles and I want to see is peace. Harry said, I've had 87 years to think about the war and all that happened. It was time to offer the hand of friendship. In understanding this beatitude, a little bit of Hebrew knowledge goes a long way. I want to share a tiny bit with you. At first, let's think about the word peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, we need to distinguish two uh, understandings of the word peace. There is the Hebrew understanding uh, coming from the Hebrew word shalom, and then there is the Greek or the English understanding, and actually they're very different. We need to make sure what kind of peace Jesus is talking about. The Hebrew understanding shalom is, is a big picture. It's generous, it has breadth, it's positive. It, peace is about good and wholesome and happy relationships. Whereas in Greek and in English, peace is more about the absence of conflict. So it's a smaller concept. So we might say when the kids have finally gone to bed and as you just sit down and look at each other as your head nods onto your lap, you just say, ah, peace at last. And what that means is that there's no more screaming. Shalom has a bigger picture of peace. So you might ask, is there peace in the Balkans today, where I was a couple of weeks ago. Well, uh, there might be peace in the sense that there is no armed conflict, but there is not yet shalom. The same is true with us and God. Uh, do I want peace with God it, it, to the extent that I want an end to hostilities with God, or rather, uh, do I want uh, to know God? Do I want to enjoy him? Do I want to be his friend? You also need to distinguish the difference between a peace lover and a peacemaker. And hopefully you can see that there is a difference. Uh, a peace lover is somebody who likes it when things are calm. A peacemaker is somebody who, when things are difficult, will graft for peace and will ask awkward questions and will listen to awkward answers and will begin to put things together so that peace can come. Some of us uh, think of ourselves as peace lovers and think that's what God wants. He doesn't want peace lovers. He wants peacemakers. And of course, God's view of peace is that this is Jesus' greatest work. So many times uh, when Paul especially is reaching to words to describe what Jesus did on the cross, what his incarnation meant, he will reach for words about peace and say uh, that Jesus uh, brought heaven to earth so that we might know peace. But we know too, as we were singing earlier, that God's peace is always costly. Always there is cost supremely seen in the cross. And we know too from the Old Testament in particular, the danger of false peace, a peace that is not true, where things are still being hid, where people's hearts are still covered or hard. And for real peace, for shalom to come into being, all of that has to give way. So Hebrew would say shalom is peace. 
It's about generosity. It's about breadth. It's about good relationships. Uh, me to me, me to you, and me to God. Uh, secondly, uh, we hear that uh, those who are peacemakers will be called children of God. Now, when uh, Jesus says that we will be called children of God, this isn't about the name that people give us or any formal recognition that we might have. It's, it's partly uh, about how people see us and hail us and treat us, but much more, this is about how God sees us. So God will see us and bless us if we are peacemakers. Think of how many of the last century's greatest peacemakers have been treated, particularly when they started to make peace. Almost always they were mistrusted. They were labeled as sellouts. They were told that they were not patriotic. They were told that they were capitulating to the enemy. They were told that they were overlooking uh, things that had been done in the past. And yes, we have a Nobel Peace Prize, and yes, there are some honors for peace in our world, but in reality, in terms of what we consume and consume voraciously, we consume the opposite of peace. We consume and enjoy and then feed off, uh, and feed off whether it's what we watch on TV, what it's, uh, whether it's what we read online, what we read in the papers, what we watch on Netflix, we consume conflict. And we consume bitterness and distrust and violence and revenge. Think how few films feature somebody who bravely and patiently and at cost to themselves manages to win the peace. And compare that to the number of films where someone is aggrieved and spends the rest of the film heaping retribution on those that they hate. All these things are the very antithesis of peace. So peace does not come naturally to us as human beings. And let's not assume that a resolution on our part, either as a church or as individuals, to act as peacemakers will bring popularity and acceptance. So, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called, Jesus says, children of God. Now, Hebrew, you may know, is short on adjectives. So it doesn't have, have as many adjectives as we do in English. And so when it wants to describe somebody, it doesn't necessarily have the word for kind, but it might describe them as a son or a daughter of kindness. That's just the way the, the Hebrew language and the Hebrew mindset works. It's not about gender, but it's about describing someone's character. So if you remember uh, from the New Testament, James and John, disciples of Jesus, uh, were nicknamed Boanerges, the sons of thunder. That wasn't because their dad was called thunder, uh, but it was because they had these sort of fiery uh, temperaments. Uh, Barnabas, who comes along at the beginning of Acts, uh, was called the son of consolation, someone who always uh, came with encouragement. Uh, we would jokingly uh, talk about somebody being the son of a gun in a Western, uh, or in English, uh, the son of something much worse. Uh, it's a way of describing the kind of person that they are. So if we are peacemakers, God will see us as his children. Now, the New Testament is really clear that we become the children of God, not by doing nice things to other people, but through the love 
and the mercy and the generosity of Jesus, who is the great peacemaker. That's how you and I become the children of God. But Jesus encourages us to graft as peacemakers, as our way of getting into the family business. That when we are busy about peace, we are busying ourselves with what is deepest and what is closest to God's heart. And that will be enough for us. That's simply to say, when I'm grafting for peace, I am doing what is close to my father's heart. I'm doing what, he's, what he loves. And when we're doing that, we're not just thinking about people who are working in the Balkans, but we're thinking about shalom here in our community. Anything that brings peace and right relationships and justice and joy. So in Romans 12, uh, Jean read it for us, that we heard these words. If it is possible, this is, I think, our word for this week. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I don't know you well enough uh, yet. I don't know whether, when it comes to the things of peace, uh, are you a bull in a china shop whose efforts for peace are clumsy, and insensitive, there's probably a few of you here, or are you the kind of person that lets sleeping dogs lie and you tell yourself you're a person of peace when in fact you're lazy? I don't know enough about you. Uh, Paul's question to us and Jesus' question to us is how, as far as it depends on you, are you going to be a peacemaker today? It's unlikely, as I said, to be in the Balkans or in Syria. might be. But how are you going to bring peace with your spouse or your kids or your parents or your colleagues or your neighbors? That is a great place to start. And as we seek to bring peace, we need to remember what a huge word, shalom, peace is. It is not the absence of conflict. You are not at peace if there's no one writing you hate mail. Shalom is this big word. It is the presence of joy. It is the presence of love and respect and justice. And a lot of what each one of us does this week can either help that or it can squash that when we remember how God sees peace. And today, in particular, remember too that peacemaking costs and that way too many people in the last century have given up their lives for the sake of peace. And in recognizing this, we remember that some wars are necessary, but no war is glorious. We remember that war can bring out the very best in human beings. It can also bring out the very worst. So on Remembrance Sunday, we can simultaneously stop to thank God for the honorable people who've given up their lives and at the same time be asking forgiveness for the violence and the greed that exists in our world and that exists in our hearts. And today we can affirm that no human living or dying is ever wholly in vain. We remember that the Christian vision is that all peoples will be reconciled in Jesus. 
even ancient enemies. When we read at Revelation, that's what we are reminded, that everybody is reconciled in Christ. And if that is true, we have a duty to work for peace. And so we say that the peoples of Europe and our world need each other. And whatever we think about Brexit, we cannot cast aside the peace that others paid for. We remember that we have a duty to care for all victims of war, whether that be past or present. And so we remember today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, even if we're called a lot of other things today. Amen.